People who like get up in their medieval swords and they do like live action role playing, like some of the elves, some of the trolls. Well, I'm sure he didn't mean it. He was playing 15,000 D chess. Yeah, whatever. I don't see any conflict between science and religion. I just, I've, I've yet to see any conflict. Yeah, the, the only difference is science is too small to contain religion. Religion is big enough to contain science, mathematics, the humanities, and all of history. But I've certainly, um, I, I guess in a sense, ordered the deaths of many. I'm Rick Walker. I'm sitting down with some of my most captivating friends to discuss topics ranging from politics and business to religion and pop culture. Welcome to Conversations at the Mansion. Well, Dan Crenshaw, thanks. Thanks for coming to the mansion. How's everything going? It's going well. Thanks yeah. for having me. Man. It's good yeah. to see you. Yeah, good to see you too. Yeah. So, so let's kick off with politics. Let's go straight into it. What's it like being in the minority in such a divisive DC right now? Well, I have nothing to compare it to. So um, to me, it's normal. Um, you know, I, I didn't go up to DC with some sort of idealistic notion that I'm gonna like solve some big problems right away. Um, and it, it's just, it's gonna be this, this just, I don't know. I think people have a kind of utopian vision of, of what it is to go to Congress and people don't realize that by design it is meant for gridlock. And we, we should often be grateful for that because there's a lot of people up there that have a lot of incentives um, to take a lot of drastic action very quickly that, that may not be all that well thought out. Um, you know, these are complex issues we're dealing with. Some might argue that Congress is dealing with too much and has been for a very, very long time. Um, and uh, we don't necessarily have the staffs to do it. This, this gets into an interesting, deeper conversation about the nature of Congress. But yeah. so is it divisive? Yes. Is that any different than it's been in the past? Maybe. I don't really know. I'm sure it's really nice being the majority. I think we've got a really good shot of taking the majority. I mean, we only need four seats, or, or well, they have a four flip margin. So, I mean, you, you could almost take back the majority in Texas alone. Yes. You know, um, you get two more seats, or is it three more seats? You think? Uh, in Texas, everybody says three. Okay. You know, I don't, I don't know how that's going to look, but. Um, you know, at least at least a, maybe two out of three of those seats could be Republican. Um, we might even flip a couple. Mm -hmm. I mean, these South Texas districts are are getting real uh, problematic for the Democrats. Sure. You know, you got Henry Cuellar out there, uh, sounding like a Republican. He he is a co-sponsor with me on a gun bill. <laughs> <laughs> like, I love it. Like, Henry's a truly bipartisan. A lot of Democrats like claim they're to be moderates. They're just, uh, I've never seen a single moderate thing out of them. Sure. Cuellar's different. Okay, okay. So uh, you talked about Democrats maybe going overboard on some of these things. Uh, one of the clips that went viral back in probably December was Nancy Pelosi uh, she put forward this this massive bill, mm -hmm. the massive bill uh, you were calling for her to break these up into individual bills so you could vote individually because there were maybe some good things yeah. in, those, in those bills. And uh, you had this uh, Crenshaw Torches Pelosi clip that went viral. And we all know it. Study after study shows outdoor dining is safe, that outbreaks are not occurring because of our small businesses, our gyms, our restaurants, our salons. And yet these small businesses are in the crosshairs of cowardly politicians across the country. This madness has to stop. Talk, talk, to, talk to me about kind of your floor speech and, and, and kind of your frustration with, with those sorts of activities. Yeah, well, floor speeches are a great way for us to, to just get our thoughts out um, on the House floor. Well, people, people should know this. I like to give some 
people some insights on like, what it's really like being in Congress. What's funny about moments like this is there's nobody there. <laughs> <laughs> like was, we, we, we do these speeches all day long to no one. But obviously we know it's on C-SPAN and then we can clip it and, and use it. Is Nancy even there? The speaker even there? Um, no, probably not. Okay. Um, it, sometimes she might be. There, there's moments where some of these uh, speeches, you have a lot more people there, but that's actually um, somewhat rare. You, know, the, you basically sign up for time to do a five-minute uh, that, that, so that's, I just think that's a funny thing to tell people. Um, and uh, I was expressing my frustration that, look, I, I get how oftentimes you end up just packing a bunch of your, your stuff into a bill. Um, it's, it, a lot of people say, oh, just, just vote on each issue separately. That, that's not really realistic. It would be impossible to schedule that. Sure. I, I think um, because you do, you have to have two hours of debate per bill. You you know you have to it has to go through committee. There's the the process itself, and you don't really want to mess with that process too much because then it wouldn't be very democratic and it wouldn't be very fair. So a lot of people think, well, just if you guys agree on five percent, just pass that. Yes, that's true, but that does have to still need be need, need to be negotiated outside of it. Um, so j just just for some perspective, um, but on COVID relief um, where. You know, you, you really do need to put politics aside, and there's really obvious things that we agree on. It just just put it on the floor. Sure. Just just put it on the floor, and she never just she just wouldn't wasn't getting political backlash for that, and I think people sensed that, and I, that's probably why that particular clip did so well. Cool. So I want, I want to have a little bit of fun with you. Uh, th a little little segment I like to call Crenshaw conspiracies. <laughs> so uh, you know, I, I will forever be linked to you some some way because every time. You do something that people don't like. I get a text message, and I appreciate that. <laughs> they know you'll yell at me. <laughs> yeah, and you know, and, and you know, I'm your friend because I don't forward those text messages to you in the middle of the night. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we've got to dispel a few things here. Okay, first thing is the COVID lockdowns. In your opinion, scientific, unscientific, other? What are, you, what are your thoughts on those? Uh, unscientific. Okay. Yeah, not not based in data. Um, I don't know. I don't know. Is that my conspiracy or is that somebody else? I don't know. What <laughs> it's yeah. a, well, I mean, I, it's you, I, you on a conspiracy. Yeah. yeah. I don't. Um, yeah. I mean, I don't. I, I, I've, I've been very consistent against lockdowns since the beginning, even when it was a little riskier to be against lockdowns. Um, and I've just been I've been proven right over time because like my sense in the beginning was you you can't control this to the extent that you think you can. Sure. It, it's a pandemic. Um, it, nature does what nature does. Um, and it's not obvious to me that closing businesses, which are well-regulated, um, you can kind of manage inflows and outflows to an extent, is, is somehow stopping people from interacting with one another. Mm -hmm. And I, we were just, and, and now in hindsight, I've, I've clearly proven right, there's study after study, one of the most recent from Stanford, um, shows there's no correlation between shelter-in-place orders, um, lockdowns of businesses and the spread of the pandemic. And um, country to country comparisons show that, state to state comparisons show that. So a lot of costs, no benefit. Sure. So it's, it's generally a bad policy. Probably the biggest cost I would say with the, you have the kiddos that are in school, yeah. they're put at a six month competitive disadvantage to the rest of the world. So they've got to catch up somehow. Six months is a lot, a lot of time to make up. That's even, that one's even more unscientific. You know, you can argue about keeping um, vulnerable adults locked down in their houses. You really can't argue about the kids. Uh, under 20 years old, I believe, you, you have a higher chance of dying from the flu than you do COVID. So this, 
But there this was no flu this year, right? Sense. There's like zero flu this year. Yeah, yeah, that was interesting too. <laughs> and so, you know, there, there, there needs to be an honest assessment of our of our activity of our of, of our policies um, over the last couple of years for the world. I mean, and, and look, the U.S. even in some of the most locked down areas in the U.S., it's still a lot more open than a lot of places around the world. You, you, I know that sounds crazy, but like um, I. I a lot of international friends, you look at Europe, you look at a lot of South American countries too, They lo Israel, they lock down really, really hard. I mean, to a, to an crazy extent. Um, and uh, what did they get for it? You know, nothing. Sure, sure. Uh, probably the next uh, conspiracy that I hear the most, and this is, I think Lacey will put up the most common image that I receive on my text messages, is this image oh, this one, of, yeah. of you linked to Alexander Soros, which is apparently some relation to George Soros, and the text always some derivative of Dan's funded by Soros. Yeah. He's a Manchurian candidate type of figure, and, and so yeah. what's what, this, what's going on with it? I could so I couldn't even find this image this, on their website. I couldn't even find your name on their website. This one's good to address. I told them to take it off because I was sick of getting this stupid message from people. <laughs> well, you're welcome. Look, <laughs> look, the, 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 I'll, uh, this. I want to address a deeper problem with our side yeah. on, the, on the conservative base. We're paranoid as hell, and it needs to stop. Um, we, we need to be able to evaluate information in front of us better and critically think better. Okay, this is how QAnon happens. This is how 9-11 conspiracies happen. Oh, the, the, there was no planes. It's like, yes, there was. Yes, there was. And it's really concerning that every 9-11 anniversary, I can find thousands and thousands of likes and shares for 9-11 conspiracies. And um, it's not liberals doing that. It's, it's people who, who tend to vote, on the, if they vote at all. Um, we need to admit that there's a problem. So like this notion that, that like there's some like secret cabal of globalists. And by the way, all the people saying globalists, like you don't even know how to define globalists. Like what does that even mean? Does it mean like you want some like one government order in the, in the world? And, and if that's what it is, like if that's how you're defining it, then how the hell do you think I'm the one proposing that? You know, just think, just like stop and think and, 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 and be an adult. Like, so, so I'm being very forceful here, right? Like, and, and I will say this to anybody who accuses me of this nonsense. <laughs> like the young globe, and, and so what is this actually, when, once you start looking through this thing, um, World Economic Forum, I'm, I'm gonna, I've never really researched it that much, but it, it, it amounts to nothing, right? It's the, they, they list together a bunch of people that are kind of influencers on the global stage, which, okay, great. There's no meetings here. <laughs> like, I do talk to Tulsi a lot. Tulsi's a friend. Yeah, she's pretty cool. Um, she's pretty cool. She, she is cool. Um, we disagree on almost everything, but we, <laughs> but we agree on a lot of um, fundamentals. You know, just uh, she's a true liberal. There's a lot of you can have a lot in common with true liberals. Um, we got Zuckerberg. That's interesting. He's going to be in a hearing tomorrow morning. Uh, really? In front of me. Yeah. So we're you guys talk, are really close, gonna, right? You and Mark. We're going to talk big tech. Well, I've never spoken to him or met him. But you're supposed to be best friends with all these people. I am. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Oh, and, <laughs> oh, and Megan Rapinoe. Jeez, this is. You know, I mean, this is it's so it's so silly and annoying. It's like. It's, yeah, but I, I see this one on the internet a lot, okay. um, and I'm just like, like, what, what do you think? What do you think is happening here? Is what yeah. I want to ask people who are like, who are like saying this, and like, you know, think through it a little bit. Um, it's funny too. Like, I get, I'll be at a lot of events, 
and somebody will come up to me and they'll be really nice and excited to meet me and be like, oh man, and I give you so much hell online. And I'm like, why? <laughs> like, you're obviously a fan, so like, why are you saying toxic things online? Yeah. And like, this is serious for me because it, it builds on itself. And, it and people who don't have the ability, again, to evaluate information in front of them, they feed on this. And um, it makes my job really, really difficult. And, and, and like, you know, excuse my language, but like, you're an adult, why are you being a shit talker online? And just stop, yeah. just, just stop. And, and we, we could do so much better with, because um, look, my number one goal is persuading moderates, right? To, to vote sure. for us. That's, that's how I define fighting. A lot of people define fighting as performing for the base. We have a lot of members of Congress who like to perform. Yeah. Um, you love the word fighting, by the way. Yeah. You love the word fighting. And I know what it means, really. And it means winning. And to win in politics, you gotta, you gotta persuade people. And when we, when we dive down into these little conspiracy wormholes, we seem crazy. And it's really easy for the left to, to, to build these caricatures of conservatives um, and, and, and apply it broadly to everybody. And um, it's, it's, it's toxic. It's toxic and it's so damn silly. Look, we're always looking for somebody who betrayed us, it seems like. That's yeah. the number one thing. I call them rhino, you know, rhino hunters, right? Everybody gets their rhino gun out and they go and they're gonna get them rhinos. Yeah. I'm like, shut up. Yeah. Just stop. Yeah. Don't, don't, just stop it. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I'm pretty hard on these people who come up <laughs> with this. I make fun of them a lot because it's ridiculous. It's, yes. it's just, it, it's ridiculous. And um, so. Yeah. And, I, and I, I have a lot of opinions <laughs> on it, as you can tell. If you could be a little more clear next time, I'd yeah. appreciate that, Dad. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think we probably did 20 or 25 forums or debates together over a few month period. So I think everything I've heard from you, I've heard a lot from you in person. It, like, there's no rhino type of type of belief it's in your ridiculous. bone in your body. Yeah. Our uh, primary, by the way, was interesting. Like, we didn't have anybody who was running in that in that section of the right. Nobody. Like, you know. Um, Justin Lurie once talked about like uh, like abolishing the Department of Education or something. You know, it was a little bit out there, but frankly, it's not a, it's not the craziest idea. Yeah. Um, it's just unrealistic. But you know, it, but 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 we didn't have anybody who was running in that like Marjorie Taylor Greene space. Yes, it was a it was an extremely reasonable um, primary, which is odd for Certainly. for modern primaries, and uh, it shouldn't be. I wish it wasn't. <laughs> hey, it says something about our district, I guess. That's right. That's right. So the number two conspiracy that I get text message about, uh, and these are these are like multi-page text messages, um, are your, is your stance on red flag laws? Yeah, and yeah. I'll, I'll kind of roll this into the uh, the Texas GOP's uh, priority this year of, and it's their, it's their kind of their annual priority of constitutional carry. Mm -hmm. And so you know, kind of give us a, a, a quick overview of your of your view on gun rights, red flag laws, and that sort of thing. And, yeah. and maybe maybe a little bit on this on this bill with 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 Cuellar as well. I imagine that probably ties into it a little bit. Okay. Um, I'm on the constitutional carry bill. I'm on it every year in at the federal level. Um, I believe in it. I you know it's but um, and on the Cuellar's, so I'll answer the easy questions first. On the, the Cuellar bill, that one basically requires that if um, that, that ATF has to go through, has to um, establish some kind of appeals process for their rules. Because your only, your only way to deal with the ATF right, right now when they, when they create regulations is to sue them. And um, you know, we were very successful a few months ago. I basically made this go viral where I said, I, I published how to comments on an ATF rulemaking 
um, for uh, pistol braces. And then we got so many people to do it that uh, we, they, they withdrew the, the rule completely. <laughs> so um, my record on, on the Second Amendment is much better than most. Um, because I actually, again, this goes back to actually doing things versus signaling to people that you're a, you know, you're a patriot. Yeah. Eh, shut up. Like, just stop. Like, I call it patriot LARPing. Yeah. Familiar with LARPing? Live no. action role playing? Okay. <laughs> so the people who like get up in their medieval swords and they do like live action role playing, like some of the elves, some of the trolls, right? And they go to the big fields and do, this is a big thing throughout. Okay. It's always has been. So I call it patriot LARPing. Like when you, when, you, when you go to buy this cool kit online, you've never worn it overseas. You don't really know how to shoot that AR. Um, you certainly don't know what attack reload is. You don't know what a transition drill is, but hey, you're a patriot. Stop. Yeah. Like I'm, I'm not, you know, like, so um, I'm not gonna take criticism from you. Yes. <laughs> um, and the other problem is, is they tend to, you know, like to exercise their rights and basically go scare suburban moms and dads and because they're like, who are, who are these guys? Yeah, yeah. And they're like, we're fighting for the Second Amendment. You're not fighting. You're patriot LARPing. It's different, okay? <laughs> so anyway, that's, I have very strong opinions on this. Um, there's a doing something and there's not. And I noticed too, when we, when, in HR 8, um, that was the universal background checks bill that just passed um, the House and um, uh, yeah, some Republicans did vote for it, but I've never voted for it. Um, and I did a whole lengthy video explaining, because this is complicated for people, yes. like why this isn't good policy. And then I noted, I'm like, where's the NRA's video? Where's Gun Owners of America on this? Where, find me a single Second Amendment advocacy group with millions and millions of dollars in the bank that does one educational video to persuade a single person to see it your way. Couldn't find, you can't find one. Wow. These people are useless, and I am calling them out. I am sick of it, and I will never be criticized for any of my stances on the Second Amendment. So, like, I'm just, I'm just, I'm, just, I'm done with it. Okay, <laughs> now the red flag laws thing. That day, that was this is this is following the the shooting in El Paso, and uh, this is the sequence of events. President Trump comes out and says, "We're for red flag laws at the federal level." <laughs> Everybody likes to forget that one, right? Yeah. Because he's Teflon; he can't say anything yeah. wrong. You know, you know, people are like, "Well, I'm sure he didn't mean it. He was playing 15,000 D chess." Yeah, whatever. <laughs> um, and so, and so, I tweet out. I'm like, "Look, you can you can you can consider these at the state level, and and then and then I move on to, and then I do a series of videos, basically, of like this. These are the parameters." With due, to protect due process, because no, there are no red flag laws that I could possibly support. None of them protect due process. If you're gonna have that conversation, this is how you do it. I, I gave the public way too much credit on this one, because I thought that we could have a real like nuanced, I could, I could like, kind of deliver some information to people, and I was totally wrong. I was totally wrong, and I'll never make that mistake again. He's <laughs> like, I, I really, I've never, I was like, look, I don't, I don't, there's not a single red flag law I support. Yes, you do, you're, you voted for it. I'm like, we haven't even, that's not even a vote, <laughs> like, first of all. Um, you sponsored a bill. No, I didn't. Like, you just, you know, people just, and then, then that just rolls into this conspiracy like you're talking about. And, um, stop, you know, my, my message to people, stop, again, just goes back to evaluate information in front of you. Stop thinking with your reptile brain. Think with your, your adult brain. Yes. You know, it, it is killing our politics. I'm the best messenger you've got for the Second Amendment, and you neutered me on it. Can't talk about it because you guys stopped it with your nonsense, with your childish nonsense on this issue. Just stop. 
Um, and so, yeah, it's been alive for a long time. It's, it died down a long time ago, but um, that's the explanation. <laughs> okay, so that was, the fun, that was the fun portion of the interview. Yeah. So I'm glad you enjoyed that. <laughs> you got me going. <laughs> I get riled up on conspiracies, man, because like, it's, um, the hard, it's the hardest part about this job. It's not yeah. dealing with the left. It's yeah. dealing with our own side. Yeah. Um, and because I, I want our side to be better. And it, 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 it demoralizes me when we, when we go down these weird rabbit holes. Yeah. And um, it's, it happens, look, for all the texts you get, I get all of them too, but I get a lot more than that. Um, not necessarily about me, but just issues in general. Sure. And they're like, is it true that this is, I'm like, no, it's not. You know, and, and you should know better. Yeah. You know, like you gotta, you gotta just, just pull it back, pull it back. Like, you know, it just, we, we have to do better. That's why I try to deliver so many, so much content that, that is designed to educate um, on, on, on a lot of different subjects. Cause I want you to be able to make the right arguments and, and, and don't go down a track that, that turns you into a caricature that the left wants to build. Yes, yes, certainly, certainly. Well, something even more important than gun laws are, is your favorite show. So in your book, you revealed that your favorite show was Saved by the Bell. I didn't, I didn't. okay. Is, <laughs> is, that, is that true or is that, or is that false? I mean. I didn't say it was my favorite. I said um, I was a fan when I was at that age. So yeah, I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. I feel, I feel like you're judging. <laughs> no, 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 no. So, so, so the important thing that, that all of America wants to know, this is a rank order question, my friend. Rank order my question. Jesse Spano, Kelly Kapowski, Lisa Turtle. That's Kelly, I mean, it's not even a question. Kelly Kapowski. It's, it's Kelly Kapowski got us it's a lot be. of hard times as children, yeah. It's gotta be. <laughs> Tiffany Amber. Yep. Yeah, oh, yep. it's Kelly Kapowski. Yeah. <laughs> not even close. Well, good, good, good. You mentioned Trump being Teflon uh, a second ago. Um, what do you think Trump's role will be in the, in the Republican Party, in especially the next, the upcoming primaries specifically, mm -hmm. Uh, does he have vengeance on his on his brain? I think he saw it maybe two hundred million or so. He, he raised yeah. two hundred thirty million after he lost. I know, it was ridiculous. The, look, the, the the real the real answer is who knows. Um, I don't think he knows. To be honest, that's my assessment of that. But look, it, it does seem obvious that he wants to play at least a light role as a kingmaker and, and endorse people. I think his first goal is to attack the ten people who voted for impeachment. Um, but I'll be honest with you, I don't see that, I don't think that, he, he certainly doesn't win all of those. He might knock off a couple, but um, that's, the, the conversation about all that has really moved on. And, um, you know, so I, I don't know. If I were to give him advice, I would say, look, you, you live on Mar-a-Lago. Uh, you're still a billionaire. Life's not bad. You... You, you had a lot of accomplishments in four years that you can, that you can build a legacy off of. Um, the last few months haven't been great for that legacy, but if your message is constantly reminding people of some of the good things um, and um, running the race, basically running the messaging race that you should have been running uh, throughout 2020, because uh, you would be president right now, um, then, then, then your legacy will survive, and that, that would, to me, that would be like the ultimate goal. Um, but I, I've never been able to, to get inside of his head, so you know, I, I don't know, and, I, and frankly, I, I don't think he's decided yet. 
Sure. He he could he could be a lot more in the public eye right now if he wanted to, but he's he's made a deliberate choice not to. Just kind of speaks with some statements every once in a while. Might do an interview occasionally, but more outspoken on the border stuff re recently because that's a good bailiwick for him, right? That's a sure. good issue for him. So you know why not? Why wouldn't you go in on it? And um, he he can make such a clear distinction just to kind of stick it to Biden a little bit, and he should. I mean, because this 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 administration, Biden administration, they've they've made a, quite the habit of blaming every literal literally every problem on the Trump administration. Oh, the vaccine. There was no vaccine plan. Like <laughs> it's self evident that that's not true. We're gonna do a million vaccines a day. Yeah, on the day he took <laughs> office. Yeah, and so. You know, oh, that border stuff was a mess that we took over. It's just not, that's not true. You yeah. know, these, are, these things are just not true. Um, and we could go into plenty of details to, as to why. But, you know, it's, um, you know, and I, I'm sure, <laughs> this is kind of, one of the funniest, like, memes I, I, uh, I saw was uh, Jed Sackey. Well, the Trump administration left us really slippery stairs, and that's why Biden fell on them. Like, that was actually pretty funny. I'm not a fan of making fun of Biden just for slipping on stairs. I think it was a little overdone, but uh, yeah. you know, but that was pretty funny. Yeah. <laughs> so you sort of danced around the topic of the World Economic Forum, um, uh, the Great Reset. We've talked about mm -hmm. a little about the COVID conspiracy to shut everything down. The, we got the border issue at hand. Yeah. Uh, where do you see the, the Great Reset right now? And where's it, where's it going over the next four, four to well, six years? I don't know if I danced around it. I just don't know anything about I mean, it. There, there were a lot of subjects that touched the Great Reset, or at least the philosophy of the Great Reset. Yeah, I, I just don't know much about it. Okay. Like, and I don't, I don't care either. I, it, you know, it, I, I think we're obsessing over it on the right a little bit. And look, I, I have been to the website and I saw, okay, this is okay, this is why people are saying that, because I did look into that. Okay. okay, they say something about a great reset. I don't look into it any more than that. Look, it's it's a bunch of people it, it's a it's an organization that has no real power. I mean, yeah, there there look, there's always gonna be people that that maybe I, I think what they mean by great reset is the same thing the Democrats are always saying about about you know what kind of infrastructure they want to invest in, redistribution of wealth, that kind of thing, more open immigration. I mean, it, it's it's what you think it is, I believe. Yeah. Um, but you know, I think when you call it the Great Reset, it sort of it sort of it, it sort of indicates that there's like a secret, you know, power cabal yeah. under it all. Yeah. And it's not so secret. It's just the Democrat Party. So, like again, like, I, I just want us to like take a step back. Like, it's not the, it's not a conspiracy. It's a, it is a political platform. Sure. But just like just you know, we we sound a little crazy <laughs> when we start talking about like some sort of like secret secret cabal. Um, yeah. Just just fight the Democrats. It's the same thing. It's all the same thing. Sure, sure, sure. And you you mentioned wealth distribution. I think probably be. A Nice to take a, a quick tangent into that because that seems to be the core of their economic control, or at least their economic plan. Uh, the, they being the liberals, and they not being the, the cabal. Uh, <laughs> it's all the same, I yeah. guess. You know? It's just more open, right? Like it's not some yeah. like secret thing. So you know? do they do they not do they not read economics? I mean, do they not look at things like proto principle, Price's law, where you know the it's always it's always a fact that the square root of the number is going to have fifty percent of the production. Square yeah. root of of 110 of them will have, square root of a million, a thousand will have, uh, have 50% of the resources. And, and, and it's even more disparate than that. Do they not realize that all the wealth is eventually going to reaccrue to the exact same people? Yeah. I mean, 
that's always the question, whether they're, they're ignorant of the facts or whether they're lying. And it's usually maybe a combination of both. They, they have a fundamental, like you have, to, you have to move back into the psychology of how a leftist thinks. And um, they, they believe fundamentally that, that you can control society and human nature far more than say, I would believe. Um, so that's a dispositional difference. And everything flows from that. So that's important to understand. Uh, so the, 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 they have different values associated with that. Um, they believe that wealth is ill-begotten, right? So I might believe that somebody deserves the wealth that they've created. Um, they don't, right? They, they see it and they think, like well, Bernie Sanders says this all the time. He, he notes how much more billions have been made by billionaires during the pandemic. And that's the only question he asks. If they've made more money, it must be immoral. Yeah. Now, I don't think that way. I think, well, how did they make them? Did they steal the money? Now, if they stole the money or if they took advantage of people, they infringed on somebody's rights to make that money, that would be immoral as far as my moral framework is concerned. The sure. left doesn't have the same moral framework. Yeah. This is really important to understand. It's the only way we can understand like, why we have these differences. And also, these are eternal differences. These dispositional differences have been, there's a good book written about this called The, the, um, uh, the Conflict of Visions by Thomas Sowell. And he really talks about how long these divisions have been occurring in, in human history. It'll never go away. Now in modern form, we call it the left and the right, but uh, he calls it the constrained and the unconstrained vision. And I think it, it's, yeah. it's a highly accurate way of speaking it. So that's a bit philosophical, but that's why. I, th I think they, yeah. they, they think wealth is immoral um, and and they, they don't really believe in hierarchies, especially especially hierarchies formatted around some kind of meritocracy. That's that's a really important thing, too. Um, and, and they'll say this. There's literature in progressive woke left that yes. talks about meritocracies being racist and and, you know, you know, neutral applications uh, being racist. I mean, that's basically you know, the critical race theory that started all this back in yeah, the 1960s. Yeah. yeah, you have to view it through a, a, you know, a race lens or a gender lens or, or whatever kind of other intersectional lens. And th this means it's really hard to find a, a, a truth, like a core of truth. Mm -hmm. It's really hard. It, it, there's a lot of contradictions in it, and it's hard to follow. That's kind of the point. They want yeah. to confuse you. Yeah. Well, you wrote an article in the Daily Wire, I think it was last week, that talked a little bit about the victors versus victims mentality how storytelling has been used by the left in order to create false narratives, false narratives that lead to, to bills and uh, objectives that they're trying to fulfill that they're not logically coherent with mm -hmm. that. Um, you, you, know, you mentioned Thomas Sowell. Thomas Sowell says that uh, the Democrats, the difference between the Democrats and the Republicans is the Democrats, and I don't mean this as a slide in any, any way, but uh, the Democrats will send their A team into politics and their B team into business. The Republicans send their B team into politics and their A team into the into the free marketplace, mm. and and it seems to me like they have present company excluded. They have superior communicators, and communi that communication, although it's illogical in, in its basis, it is more effective in its communication of their narrative because yeah. they want to be the determinants of the hierarchy. Yeah, yeah, I think that's probably true. Although I don't know if they have better communicators because I. I, um, I strain to, to see like a, an opponent on the other side that I really respect as a, as a communicator that can go toe-to-toe -to -toe with me. Yeah. I actually don't. I agree, 100%, yeah. Um, 
at least in politics, maybe in like, like Bill Maher is actually pretty good. Mm -hmm. um, but you destroyed him pretty, pretty clearly yeah. though. Well, but he, but he chose a bad debate, you yeah. know, I'm sure, I'm sure we could do better anyway. Um, but there, but there's some that might be better, um, but, the, but they've got to be very moderate. Sure. If, if they're gonna, if they're gonna, cause if the further left they go, the easier it is to, to bash them. Anyway, the, but, but, but what they have an advantage on is the ability to, to leverage emotion to their side and empathy, right? They're always the party of compassion and sympathy and empathy and, and feelings. And, you know, uh, the public is too. Sure. Uh, it's, and also they're the, they're the party of, we'll give you stuff if you vote for me. Right? And that's, that's pretty compelling. And again, I'm really mad at our side lately because everybody's like, why didn't Mitch McConnell support the $2,000 checks? That's why we lost Georgia. And I was like, what? Guys, I thought we were conservatives. I thought we were, you know, didn't believe in just dishing out money to somebody who doesn't need it. You know, when it comes to direct cash payments, well over 100 million people who were getting those and never lost their job. You know, a, a lot of those are government workers, by the way, active duty military, thousands, you know, these are, you know, for a family, it's thousands and thousands of dollars. Like, is this ethical? Is this, guy? like, yeah, come on. Yeah. You know, it, it, it's, it's, um, it, it's very frustrating how, how, how we've given into that. That's populism, by the way. So, so populism, I think, rears its head on the left in almost every pop policy. I define populism as telling you what you wanna hear as opposed to what you should hear and the truth. That's, I think that's the best explanation of populism that I've come up with because everybody just says it. And I'm like, what does it mean? Yes. I think that's what it means. We're gonna tell you what you wanna hear. We're gonna, we're gonna, I'm gonna connect with you emotionally and I wanna make you feel good. I wanna make you, you know, whatever. Oh, you believe in that weird conspiracy? It's good, that's fine, it's fine. It's you, it's your truth, okay? <laughs> and we've started to do that. Instead of saying no, like th there's a box here. Yeah. Like there is no QAnon. There's just not, like stop it. Um, now the right is better about that than the left, but we've, we've gotten shaky on this and we need to just be like, no, there, there's an Overton window here and, and outside of it, you're not with us. And we've gotten into this weird notion, like, like, I'm, like Marjorie is a, a good example of this. There's no reason to defend her. She offers us nothing. She doesn't know a whole lot. She's, she has engaged in crazy conspiracy. She's proven that she hasn't, a, even if she apologizes for it now, she's proven that she has an inability to evaluate information put in front of her. There's no reason to defend this person. She's always going out and, and performing for the base. Why do we reward these things? And just because they're unapologetic, well, they're fighting for us. No, they're not. They're, they're performing for you. There's a difference. And so we need to be careful about that, not engage in populism. Um, it doesn't help anybody. It's not, just, if some people confuse populism with just the things that people want that are good. Well, that's not so, like working for the people. No, that's not, it's not what populism is and that's not what these policies that were being promoted are either. It's a bit of a tangent. I'm not even sure what the initial question was. <laughs> <laughs>
too. I was like, yeah, you, you have gotten me to do more work than, uh, than anybody I know. Uh, and I was like, yeah, maybe that's a good idea. Um, and he's like, why, why don't you just have breakfast with an agent? And this, so this was, by the way, this conversation was happening um, right after I was elected. So okay. before I took office, right after I was elected. And um, so I was like, all right, I'll have breakfast with an agent. So this was after SNL? Yeah, yeah, okay. just after right. SNL. So that's why it made sense, right? Because yeah. there's sort of 15 minutes of fame from that. And, um, you know, why not uh, pitch a book? It's a good time to do it. And, um, yeah, and so, so the idea for the book sort of came from that conversation. Because I was, I honestly, I was like, I don't, I don't know what to, I don't know what to, I don't know what to write about. And he's like, well, and I'm like, I'm not going to write a seal book. You know, because I just, I just think it's overdone. Um, and and I, don't, I don't want that to be my legacy. And so we sort of just chatted through it and came up with this. And once, once we had the concept, then I, I could easily write the outline, yes. right? I was like, okay, because I, I love the idea of these sort of self-help books. Um, that because I want to deliver you a lesson. I don't want to tell you a story. I'm not a great storyteller, and I don't want to tell you my story. That that seemed that just didn't seem like the right thing to do. Um, but my story can be woven within it anyway. I want you to learn something, um, and and that's pretty consistent with all the content I try to deliver. I, I want to I want to give you something. Um, if I give a speech, I don't like rally speeches. I'm not good at them. I don't. I mean, I guess I could be, but. I don't like doing it. It feels cheap to me. And uh, I want you to come away with something after I give a talk or, or, or even post something. I want you to be like, I didn't know that before. Or, or that's, that's a take that I can use and that's beneficial. Um, and again, beneficial to, to further our cause a little bit. And for Fortitude, it's, um, it's, it's more personal. It's not really a political book, um, although the it is a culture war book, so I, I, that certainly drives politics to a great extent. But, um, but I, but I f definitely believe a lot liberals could easily read the book and 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 think it's fair. And a lot have told me that. So, you know, it was it was designed that way. It's it's more self help um, than it is political, if it's political at all. Yeah, it was it was very religious. In fact, it was for Baptist Deacon. It was overtly religious, yeah, surprisingly yeah. religious. I had. Uh, I think I read it in the first month that it was out, and I texted you and said, "Hey, Dan, great job, fantastic book." Uh, very, you know, the religious surprised me. I think you even said in your book that you don't wear your religion on, no. on your sleeve. And, yeah, and you know that I've never have, and but um, yeah. Oh, sorry. Finish. Yeah. So, so um, we, uh, so I, I sent that text to you, and you replied. I don't know if you remember this reply. You said, "Yeah, I'd like to get into some churches around around the district." Yeah. And I was thinking to myself because <clears throat> we'd been to a number of churches together. Uh, I was thinking to myself, well, man, this guy's dropping the F-bomb, but he's also talking about the cross of Christ in this book. <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty sure that you're not going to get any churches. That's kind of my, my thinking there. I kind of laughed there. And then not three days later, I get a text from my own pastor. One of the pastors at my church said, Rick, just finished Crenshaw's book. It was amazing. It was great. His, his, his theology was really sound in there. I'm just really, really impressed. And I thought, you know what? I'm an idiot. I'm an idiot. I just didn't see it coming. So I won't drop, drop F-bombs when I speak in the churches. I promise no, you that. Okay. No. <laughs> well, you should. You'd be great. Yeah. yeah, I don't think people would care. Look, I mean, it's... Um, and, but, of course, when we were having that conversation, I think uh, COVID was in full swing, so getting into churches wasn't, wasn't, in, the, wasn't in the cards. Um, Things have changed in 2021, so you know we, we're, I've really got a. I've never done a book tour. Yeah, uh, I'd love to, and, and churches really are the ideal place for it because, um, yeah. So I, I weave in 
religion to and if I were to write it again, if I had more time, look, I had a deadline, it's one year long. There's there's so much in the Bible. Um, and again, I, I, I'm not a theologian by any stretch, you know, but but every but I keep learning more and sure. more and I'm like, God, that would that really applies to this and that and, and that's that so and a and a point that I make often is look, truth, truth, um, this actually gets back to the uh, Thomas Sowell book, The Conflict of Visions and the Difference Between the Constrained and the Unconstrained. The Constrained Vision, which is the sort of conservative vision, and it's constrained because it's, there's a constraint on how much government can affect society. That's the, that's the notion behind constrained, okay? Unconstrained means there's like no limit, right? We can just keep tinkering with you. We will change your human nature. We have unconstrained power to do so. So just for the audience, that's what I mean by that. And part of the constrained vision is this, is this idea that truth comes over millennia. Trials and errors and, and, under, and, and religion is like that, okay? Um, you know, humans have, have, mankind has received that truth and we've, and we've figured out how to talk about it and to live it over time. That's why the moral framework of the Judeo-Christian history and and the framework is is so important and so true. Yes, it's true, um, and it's really important to have that anchor, and that that separates us quite a, as social conservatives quite a bit from from progressives, which by definition has no fundamental truth, they're, and they'd be proud to say that. They'd say, no, no, we need to keep changing it. Um, so that, that's one of the reasons why, why I put so much in there. Uh, I, I use a lot of philosophy too, like Stoic philosophy fit well within the fortitude mindset. Um, and, um, but, but, but that's why it's just, look, you, you've got to, don't reinvent the wheel. I'm not teaching you any new lessons in fortitude. I'm sort of, I'm, I'm, I'm sort of repackaging them and, um, and adding some of my own personal flair and uh, that, that, was, that was what was fun about it. Like, like, I have a concept I'm trying to deliver to you. And within the couple of pages, to, to support that concept, I'm giving you a pop culture reference, uh, maybe about Taylor Swift or something. I'm giving you a biblical verse. I'm, I'm, I'm giving you some history. Yes. I'm giving you a policy example. And I'm giving you a SEAL story. And that's what makes it fun and readable, um, I think. And it was fun to write because of that, too. It was just very multidisciplinary. Yeah. You used a lot of uh, John Paul II quotes as well throughout. Yeah. And probably the, uh, I would say, sort of the sub-thesis of, of a good portion of the chapters was this quote about uh, you, America, America was created so that not, you, not that you could do yeah. what you want, but what to do as you ought. I mean, yeah, I watched right. that, but yeah. that's, that's the generality of it. And this, this concept that there's an ought out there, mm -hmm. there's an ought out there ingrained in every human being. I mean, you, 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 you talked about that quite a bit. Yeah. Yeah. Then that, that's a, that's a, a great quote. I could, there's probably so many more too. That's what, uh, is frustrating about a book like this. You probably double the size of it. Um, and, and just add more and more concepts like that. But yeah, not the freedom to do what you like, but to do what you ought. Uh, it's a really deep uh, concept, and like you said, the, the fact that there isn't, there even is an ought, and it's this sort of sense of purpose and sense of duty, and in, in the context of civics and politics, this 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 sense of being the responsible citizen, and now you can apply this to all sorts of, of cases. Um, 
to the smallest thing, and, I, and I, try to, I try to build it from the smallest examples to the biggest examples. And, but in a small way, it's, uh, I think I used the, the example of just putting your shopping cart back when you're done with it. You know, yeah. <laughs> the, yeah. me and Joe Rogan had a funny conversation about that. He was like, oh, I hate it when people don't do that. <laughs> and then uh, it was this funny Instagram um, uh, account called Cart Narcs. Okay. <laughs> and they literally take a camera into, sharp, in the, into, um, into parking lots and they follow people who don't put their shopping carts back. <laughs> in there. And then, so we got all these funny, after that uh, episode of Joe Rogan, we got all these really funny comments like, Joe Rogan and Dan Crenshaw are the cart narcs. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm not, but I would be. I would be. That'd it's, be fun. it's very frustrating, you know. Yeah. And it's it's just the little things, and we've all done it. Uh, we, we've all we've all you know um, cut that corner, I think. And um, and the, the thing is that the reason you should feel shame about it, and I have a whole chapter on how to be how to feel shame, um, which again gets into the religion. The, the, and that's it was kind of after the fact yeah. that I that I added so much religion into it because it's like wait a second <laughs> there's no need to reinvent the wheel here yeah. this stuff is taught that's right and um, you know if I was a better theologian again I would have added more uh, because there's there's a lot to there's so much that is applicable um, but uh, you need to feel bad when you're not living with that sense of duty and you're not just you're not doing the right thing that you ought to do. And, and then the next question is, well, how do you know what you ought to do? And that's where that moral framework comes into place. You need that anchor in society. It's really important. And, and even if it's not, even if you're not a Christian, um, you, you generally have to admit that your morality does come from a Judeo-Christian framework because you live in a Western civilization and it's just where it comes from. And like, I'm perfectly fine with an atheist, you know, saying, look, I'm a good person. You can't tell me I'm not a good person. And I might, I'm like, well, there's no indication that you're not a good person. I bet you are. Maybe you're a better person than me. Yeah. Uh, but you do have to admit that you got that moral framework from somewhere. There were really interesting debates between like Sam Harris and Ben Shapiro and Jordan Peterson on this. Sure. It, that's, it's a, they can speak to it much more fluently than yeah. I can, but it's, um, that's where the concept comes from. Yeah, yeah. Um, so there's C.S. Lewis, I think, is probably one of the foremost uh, authorities on, on, on narrating this and trying to explain the concept of moral laws and, and the great oughts mm -hmm. of life. And, and he, you know, a lot of people say, well, what's the moral law? I don't believe in a moral law. Well, he would say that it's, it's, it's ingrained with us, just like the natural law, the law of gravity is ingrained in mm -hmm. objects. And he said that, you know, I use a warfighter um, example here. Let, let's say you're out on a mission. You're under, under gunfire, uh, your buddy gets hurt, hit, he's still in the open, you take cover. You've got two thoughts that are immediately in your mind. It's in, in every human being's mind. Uh, number one is self-preservation, to stay mm -hmm. there, stay safe. I don't want to be a, a vegetable. Number two, to go out there and, and, and save your buddy. Mm -hmm. um, and so you've got these two instincts there. Now, the liberal would say that that's, that, that that's, that's, your, that's your law, that's, that's kind of your self-truth. Whatever you decide is, is kind of what's, what's the best thing to do. But Lewis would say that there's something above that something about that that tells you which one is good and which one's bad. Mm -hmm. And that's the moral law. And uh, uh, there's, there's a great apologetist that, re that recently passed away that uh, said that he's never seen a law without a lawgiver. And so that, yeah. that gives you the yeah. personhood that's attached to the, to the moral law. And that gives you, like you talked about, kind of that foundation that, that the liberals reject as a matter of, 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 of reasoning. And that's why they're their ideology is so dis distracted. It's not. It's not coherent. It's not logical. Um, but I, I think 
I think the, what you brought up in your book, you said that, um, you, you said, first of all, you said that the Ten Commandments aren't, aren't just right, but they're true. And you use that comment similar to that, mm -hmm. that, that they're grounded in ultimate realities is, is sort of what you, what you were getting at there. Yeah. Um, do you believe that a right way of thinking has to be grounded in, in not only the Judeo-Christian uh, ethic, but also in kind of the ultimate reality that, that, that this is a universe of, that, that God is in control, that this is, a, that this is you know, he's, he's the author of, of what's happening? Yeah, yeah, I mean, and it's hard to, I, I come to religion very philosophically. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I and so as, as I think through creation and, and also what's more likely, yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I find it hard to believe, um, not that I don't believe in evolution, I, I think that's, that's clear in, in the science, but I, but, I, but I tend to think something had to design that, and, and there's, there's some interesting analysis from a scientific perspective, too, yes. that would demonstrate that mathematically it's really hard to, to, to get to us um, from, from a single-cell organism. Now, adaptation is one thing. It, it's easy to see how cells adapt and how DNA adapts. Interspecies adaptation, right. yeah. It's, it's a little bit more difficult to see how you get from, from this to this, uh, to us, from a single-cell organism. Just, um, just intuitively speaking, you know. Look, I, I've talked to Brett Weinstein and evolutionary bio. I've asked that same yeah. question to, to evolutionary biologists, very smart people, and they're like, "Yes, there is." And I was like, "Okay, well, I mean, I can't argue with them. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know the science yeah. necessarily, but um, I don't. I just don't see it. But, but so that's just stuff. That's just creation. Um, yeah. On, but then there's a there's a next question of of why. Why is anything the way it is? And science describes things very well. And I don't, I don't see any conflict between science and religion. Like I just, I've, I've yet to see any conflict. Yeah, the, the only difference is science is too small to contain religion. Religion is big enough to contain science, mathematics, the humanities, and all of history. I, that's, I, that's, that's the difference. I, I think so, yeah. yeah. And moral, and morality. And morality I, I, is I think that's important. where uh, science has... You know, now you can argue anthropologically speaking that look, we we learn our morale, and this would be Sam Harris's argument. I wouldn't want to. I'm kind of butchering it, but he would argue that look, over time we adapt and we learn behaviors that that um, have a superior outcome, and that's that's what creates a moral framework. Yeah, yeah, maybe that's uh, that's probably true, but I'm not so sure I see any difference between that and and the spiritual side of it. Uh, I, yeah. They kind of seem like the same thing to me. It's like you're, you're learning to be closer to God. That's sort of the purpose of religion is, is to be closer to God and to be closer to that truth. What's the difference between that and what he's saying? I'm not so sure there is one. Um, so it kind of seems to me like we're all just saying the same thing. I, I, science describes things very well. It doesn't explain anything. Because, look, it, it's, and this gets to the philosophy of the, of the unmovable mover. Yes. Um, you know, because like I can explain how this cell works and this does this and this is this, but it's like why? It's like the five-year-old who's always, well, why, why, why? You know, <laughs> you know, and, and uh, you keep asking why, and eventually uh, the mom is like, I it just is okay, <laughs> like because you run out of explanations. Well, yeah. why do I have to go in the car? Because you have to go in the car to go to school. Why do I have to go to school? We well, have to because you have to learn the things. Why do I have to learn anything? Because that's how you grow up. It's just that. You know? <laughs> and so you can do the same thing with just explanation of everything. Sure. And science describes that we're, we're constantly searching for that description of, of processes and physics and biology and thermodynamics and all of it. 
but it, there's always going to be the next question as to why. And it literally always, I don't think you'll, it's impossible not to keep going. You know, you know what I mean? Yeah. So the, the unmovable mover, and, and I, that's, that's the unmovable mover is referencing like a cause effect philosophy. Yeah. Um, but I, so I, 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 come, I come to God very philosophically. Yeah. And uh, that's a, that's a I don't know. I just do. Yeah. I don't know why. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I, I think a lot of the founders were theists and not necessarily Christians, and they came to it very philosophically uh, as well. I think you, you mentioned the kind of the cause and effect, and I think that's really the the logical inconsistencies that a lot of the, the very smart liberals come at, uh, especially the the atheists, is because they push it back to evolution. They want to put something. They want to make mm -hmm. evolution bigger than what it is. Or the Big Bang, so the Big Bang started it. Well, what was before the Big Bang? Because there's a cause and effect, right? The Big Bang was an effect. Mm -hmm. It wasn't, it, it happened at one time. Well, there was some sort of primordial type of, you know, law of gravity yeah. or something in place well, there. They'll just say science hasn't found it out yet. Yeah, so that's what they say. But they keep moving the why question back. And what they forget is in, in, in Latin, it's called ex nihilo nil, out of nothing, nothing comes. Mm -hmm. I mean, so. If, if there was really nothing, nothing would come right. out of it. So right. who created, you're just pushing the and question even back. If you do, and even if you do explain, okay, fine, maybe we do explain what caused the Big Bang, well, what caused that? Yeah. Again, again yeah. it's, it, there's, exactly. Yeah. You know, I've never been walking in, in the forest or in the middle of nowhere and looked down and saw a watch and thought, it's impossible for a watchmaker to exist. <laughs> and, and, you know, I look at my kids, and I look how sharp they are. They're yeah, far yeah. more complica complicated and complex than a, than a than a watch, right, right? But yet there's no watchmaker. Yeah, I mean it's crazy. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. It's, it's crazy. A good way to put it. Yeah, yeah. Um, so um, I want to talk a little bit about this uh, this concept of um, uh, you know the, the Stoke philosophy of, of of not getting over emotional. And you alluded mm -hmm. to a little bit earlier about um, not not letting your emotions take control, not being too excited about things because and I and I can't remember if it was. Uh, um, Aristotle was someone around 300, 300 BC that kind of uh, Epicurus yeah. maybe that that start, uh, started this Just off. But talk mark. a little, yeah, talk a little bit about about kind of your, your Stoic philosophy because you lose a lot of it to your book in your book. Yeah, no, I, I reference it a lot. Um, look, I, oh, I, I don't want to start, but I, it's not like I was a big reader on Stoicism prior mm -hmm. to that. Um, again, I, I I established concepts in my book and then I did research after the fact to basically support it. Yeah. And what I would find is like, these are just eternal truths. Sure. And so it was super easy to, yeah. to research it yeah. and back it up. And so I came upon, not like I'd never heard of stoicism, obviously yeah. I had, I just did some extra research to, 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 to add it to the book. But, um, you know, Marcus Aurelius um, was, I, was I- That's right, it was Marcus Aurelius. I don't know if he was the founder um, again, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not a scholar on stoicism, but you know, the, the base, there's a lot of interesting points in there that I think are just very applicable to, to just being better off in life. Yeah. Um, and, uh, it kind of depends on which chapter I'm, I'm applying it to, but there's a couple things. Look, like for instance, challenge yourself, do hard things. Um, you know, one chapter is called do something hard. Yes. And th that is part of the stoic philosophy. Uh, you know, they would they would um, encourage, or one Stoic philosopher would would just would, would place himself in poverty every so often, just to remind himself what it's like. You know, it's um, it's 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 not such a, a shock to the senses to to live without power and food uh, or water if you do it every once in a while, yeah. right? So when it happens, eh, it wasn't so bad. This gets to a sense of perspective too. I mean, that's a whole other chapter in the book is. You know, um, 
and one reason you might do hard things is to, is to grant yourself a sense of perspective. And even if you've never had it hard, or you've never experienced a hard thing, get out of your own head and, and imagine being in a harder place. And that's helpful psychologically sure. to you. Um, imagine your ancestors. They're not, that, not, they're not even that far away. They had it harder than you, like, wh whether you like it or not. And, um, and, and that's, that's an important part of it, too. Uh, but but uh, the, the, on the emotional thing, um, Stoics talked about uh, passions. Yes, right. And, yeah, yeah. Um, not, and, and, and they defined passions as sort of this kind of irrational exuberance of emotion. Not so much like I have a passion for, you know, a work or something. That's mm -hmm. not what they meant. They, they meant, they meant the, the just not letting your emotions get the best of you. This isn't a complicated concept, yeah. of course. And it's something that like most people would agree with. Like, yeah, I shouldn't let my emotions get the best of me, but you do all the time. That's right, so, yeah. and, and so do I, right? Um, I'm just, you know, I, I, I don't, I make sure I don't do it publicly, <laughs> but we all, do, we all do it and we could all be better. And look, I, I didn't write this book because I live up to all of these concepts. <laughs> that's, yeah. that's, that's not at all the case. Um, but, but, uh, <laughs> but I mean, look, if you were a perfect human being, uh, you, you wouldn't need to go to church either. Uh, I mean, you still should, Yeah. but you know, the point is, is that you have a set of standards that you're, that you're trying to apply and, um, and, and that's what it is. Yeah. And, you know, to, to control your emotions take a, takes a highly conscious effort at all times. Yeah. And um, the first step is just acknowledging that you need to do it, I, I think. That's right. And um, being able to have the self-awareness to identify when you're doing it wrong. And a big problem with politics these days, um, and social media is a big part of this, because it allows us to express our emotions like crazy people and get away with it and put it on a platform. That explains that, that, that situation I told you about earlier where I have a, a, grown, a grown man who is clearly, again, happy to see me in, the, in some event. I, I'm going to an event right after this. I guarantee I'll, I'll have somebody <laughs> do it again. I like to, oh yeah, I talk, do you see what I wrote online? I really, and they're almost like, like, like giddy about it, or I think they're a little embarrassed about it. Yeah. You know? And you should be embarrassed because yeah. you sounded crazy you know? and you were mean. Yes. And emotional. And um, you weren't thinking. And it's now public. And uh, you just have to stop yeah. doing that. And social media has, has, has allowed our, our kind of our, our worst passionate selves to, uh, to really take over the conversation. It's not, it's not a great thing. Yeah. So in, in politics, for the viewers, politics, there's a thing called a body man. Mm -hmm. And uh, I don't know if you use the same terminology there, yeah. but it's the, it's the guy that's, that's standing there with, with kind of the candidate or the, uh, the politician to get him out of conversations he wants to get out of pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's, that's a very, very important, important role. Yeah. Very, very important role for, th for things like that. <laughs> that's true. So you made, you made a comment a second ago about uh, you know, no, one's, no one's perfect. You made, you made the, I think, the exact quote in your, in your book was that if left to our own devices, we're, we're, we're going to tend to make the wrong the wrong choices, the mistakes, uh, alluding there's some sort of uh, either defect in our morality or defect in our in our thought. Maybe we're doing things, for, we're doing the right things, but also for the wrong purpose. Maybe there's wrong intent there, um, and there's a lot of implications there for being a um, being a democracy, being a republic, having the type of gov governmental system that we have, um, in not having too much power concentrated in one place because people. Uh, and this is the biblical, the theological term of this is original sin, that 
once Adam sinned in the, in the garden, that sin cascaded down through humanity, and that's and it's it's called uh, uh, original sin by a federal's head there, and and it's kind of what Christ came to do to kind of alleviate that, uh, and we can get into that later if we need to. But um, talk about that. I mean, do you do you perceive that whenever you're coming into an interaction that that there may be wrong intent, like the default is is the is the ill intent, or or when you see a bill from coming from the other side, is there ill intent on that, or is there um, like what, what's the assumption, what's kind of the, the, the standard default in Dan Crenshaw's mind when you're interacting with someone from the opposite side? Hmm. Um, yeah, and, and I don't want to give the impression that I think if we were just if left to our own devices, we would, humanity would just go down these dark paths. It certainly does sometimes. The, the point I, would, I was probably making that you're probably referring to in the book was the, um, like the, the conservative ideal that and again, the constrained vision that the purpose of government is to, is to basically create a simple set of rules for a complex society and an incentive structure that, that generally, in the aggregate, gets to the best outcomes. You know, the, the progressive side is, no, 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 we're always looking for the perfect outcome and we will continue to tinker with it at every level. And then the, the simpler question of like, yeah, what do these people think? Um, or do they have bad intent? I mean, they certainly don't think so. Um, and if they don't believe that it's bad intention, like, like they're not evil geniuses, um, but they, you know, because, geez, it, it, and sometimes I struggle to, to like, I'm like, God, maybe they do. <laughs> um, but but to, to have truly bad intent, I think you have to know that you're, that you're wrong, like it's evil, yeah. but you're going to do it anyway because there's some personal gain for that, you know, so like a, like a, like a crime crime boss would be a good example of that. Sure. Um, like I know I'm I'm hurting people, but I make a lot of money off of it. So that's that's like that's one kind of moral case. With policy, um, it's like okay, well let's think of it this way: like why does every policy action the Democrats take increase illegal immigration? Okay. So is their intent bad? Well, they wouldn't say so because they don't think it's bad to allow more people to come across the border illegally. They think it's compassionate. Because good is relative to them, yes. Yeah, yeah. and well, I guess to everybody, really. Yeah. So, so, so they, don't, they, don't, they, they, they just don't value certain things like sovereignty, rule of law, um, any kind of adherence to a process of immigration. They just don't value these things. And they also, and, and, and they diminish the, the, um, the costs as well. And so, you know, they, I, 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 this is, I, I think they're very myopic in their, in their assessments of policy and the, and the good outcomes that, that come with it. And so that's how they view that. Um, now, I definitely think it's bad, but as far as, um, you know, ill intent, it's a different question and um, harder to say. I do think they're power hungry, right? Like I, I noted, conservatives are, are paranoid. Um, they're power hungry. That's the left. That's the two P's for each side. And uh, we're always paranoid. Somebody's coming after us. Somebody's watching us. That our own side has betrayed us, <laughs> right? And it's like always it's paranoia to an exceptional degree. But they are power hungry to an exceptional yeah. degree. Yeah. And uh, is that bad intent? Yeah, yeah. Now you're getting closer to what I think is ill intent. But again, they're, they think they're gaining power to help you. So like they don't, you know, so it's, um, maybe I'm nitpicking the question too much, yeah, yeah, but it's, yeah. you know, I'm trying to be thoughtful about it. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, but they definitely want more power. 
which yeah. I think is bad. Yeah, <laughs> so. <laughs> so Brett Weinstein, whenever, or Weinstein, uh, you brought up a second ago, I think he used the comment, maybe it was in, in your uh, podcast with him or, or Joe Rogan's podcast recently, or Jordan Peterson's maybe, uh, where he said that once you let the minority dictate the agenda, mm -hmm. uh, that you, quote unquote, uninvent America. Yeah, that's, that's true. I mean, um, it sounds like something he would say, and you know, he, he's certainly referring to the to the very radical left, and, and especially with things like um, the transgender movement, uh -huh. you know, and, and that's a minority of a minority driving that. Uh, yes. I had a transgender uh, person on, on my podcast not too long ago, and and uh, she was is now a he, and he was like, look, like 80% of us just are not even close to believing this, this craziness. Um, you know, as, as far as trying to impose beliefs on others, and, and that, that's really where it gets out of whack, and that, that's what Brett's you know, re referring to. Our, our, our system is designed, is designed to protect the natural rights of the minority, but, but not create a system based on minority preferences. That would be, or majority preferences yeah. for that matter. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, uh, it's, you can't do that. And, and that's, um, it's more of a cultural movement on the left, right? They're, they're, their agenda, which in theory could be implemented um, in a democratic way by a majority, but that agenda is certainly driven by by a minority, and um, and I don't think that has good long term. It doesn't have long term sustainability, in my opinion. So we should be a little bit more optimistic about our hopes for the future, because like pe people are getting turned off by the craziness. Yeah, I, I think uh, minorities are the first ones to start shitting we, as we've gained more and more traction in the Latino population and, and gain a tiny bit of traction in the, in the black population because they're a little bit sick of, of being tokened and, and talked down to. And I think if we just speak to them, and we don't have to change anything we're saying, it's conservatives in the past have long just walked on eggshells around yeah. minorities. They're like, what do we say? Uh, just, just tell them the truth. Say, look, I'm not gonna see you any differently. Um, yeah. I'm not gonna promise you anything. And uh, like these are the principles I stand on. They might work for you. They might not. Yeah. Uh, but at least that's what it is. Yeah. And uh, we're not going to lie to you. That's right. That, that's. I think that's a pretty good selling point, to be honest. Definitely. Definitely. Uh, so many places to go there. So I think it was Nicholas Nassim Tlaib in his book Fragility on Fragility, maybe in Black Black Swan. He pointed out that once you get to place in society where three to four percent of the minority of the total population are acting as a minority and they're dictating mm -hmm. to the majority that's when societies begin unraveling. And I yeah. think it's, it was exactly to what you were saying a second ago. Um, and even, you know, we talked about the, that this may not be uh, a longevity type of, type of path that the, that the liberals are, are trying to execute. Uh, you look at G.K. Chesterton, he was writing in the 1920s about, he didn't call it wokeism, but that's essentially what it was, that yeah. these people are just, I mean, they have, they have no morals, they're not attached to, to reality, they're not attached to the truth, and, it, and it's just, it's kind of a moving target there. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of what postmodernism is. If you're going to define it, I don't know that I have a great definition of it, but it's sort of a departure from traditional truth on pur like purposefully so. It's purposely confusing, and the you know there's a interesting little thought experiment you can do to understand how that tiny little minority vastly changes society really quickly. And so, like, if your daughter's a vegan, for instance, and it's this is the tyranny of the minority and it, it's easier for, for for you and your wife to just just cook vegan meals from now on because otherwise you're cooking two meals yeah 
And, and then, okay, so now you guys are all vegan, uh, just, just out of just practicality, but now you have a dinner party and then maybe it's dinner party at somebody else's house and you're like, hey, like, we, need a ve we, we have to have a vegan and they're like, okay, we'll just make it all vegan. You know, <laughs> and, then, and then now everybody's eating vegan. That's sort of how it happens. That, yeah. that, you know, it, it seems harmless, but it's, um, but it's not. And um, it, where it gets tricky is, um, you know, in, in, in this particular thought experiment example, where, where it gets tricky is, well, um, I'm also going to tell guests not to bring other food because I don't want that to, to you know, to emotionally harm the vegan. <laughs> and that's sort of now, now you're getting into a, a, a place where you're infringing on people's rights in a very direct way. Yeah. And look, as conservatives, especially religious conservatives, that, that that's that's the proper balance of the live and let live philosophy. Mm -hmm. um, and look, we, we, we will certainly proselytize to people on the right way to be, but we will never force it. That's, that's right. There's a huge difference. And I don't, liberals really don't get this difference about, look, there's a big difference between um, talking about it and even, even in a strong way. And also, and also protecting certain institutions that have that set of rules. Big difference between that and creating a legal standard that makes you do something. Big difference, and, and, also, and also infringes on your, your right to associate with who you want to associate with. I don't understand why they can't get this, it's, but, and it's, because I, I, I think the compromise with the LGBT community is, is probably pretty easy, um, and, and I think most LGBT people would agree with that, yeah. and, um, but, they, but that small minority is much more militant about it, and uh, they're, they're not okay with a live and let live philosophy. They want, yeah. they want a you, you will accept me into your into your space philosophy. Yes. Uh, maybe that's a locker room. Maybe it's a, a religious organization. Maybe it's maybe it's a place of work. And these are difficult questions. I mean, the, we were all a little disappointed with Gorsuch's decision on this one, but uh, and I can't remember the, what the Supreme Court decision was called. But it was um, it was regarding um, um, a funeral parlor where a a, a, a man trans, transitioned to a woman. And so, so, so now you have this case, and, and this was a man a minute ago, and now it's a woman, and um, you work at a funeral home, which is a sensitive place. Sure. It's kind of different. If it's an office, or, you know, fine. Like, again, I, I, I'm just, I wouldn't care, personally. Just, okay, fine, just get back to work, is kind of yeah. what I would say. Um, but it's a funeral home. You know, and uh, you're going to be dressing differently. And the way I, I point out to people, why is this different? And why is this different than, than say, discrimination on race or gender and other immutable characteristics? And the reason it's different, and I think we should, we should look at this in, in the legal sense differently, is because you're changing a behavior. That's, that's where the line is. You're changing a behavior. And I don't, I'm not sure what's wrong with an employer saying, you vastly changed your behaviors. These are not immutable characteristics anymore. So I, I have a right to not associate with you anymore. Mm -hmm. You know. So again, it's, it's a there's a there's a framework for rights that works okay, yeah. <laughs> and yeah. uh, we should probably go to that. Yeah, yeah. So just just to know, I think the 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 one potentially. Um, uh, I guess confrontational uh, item in your book is probably something no, one, no one's ever pointed out to you or maybe have asked you about. You have a you have a brief excerpt in there about Bradley Manning converting to Chelsea Manning. Yeah, yeah. 
and you change the pronoun in there. Mm -hmm. I, I, the reason I bring it up is because you, you brought up the, yeah. the trans, transgenders. Why, why would you change the pronoun there in, in a written book? I can yeah. see you change the pronoun if you're, if you're addressing the person yeah. directly in the room. Oh, same reason, person. out of politeness. Okay. Like if you ask me to, like the transgender, so I call him a transgender man, the guy who was on my podcast. It's not a guy, it's a biological woman. Okay. I, I still call him a guy, because that's what he asked for. Yeah. It, it's, it's purely out of politeness. I, I'm under no obligation to believe that you're a, and he would say the same okay. thing. He would be like, no, I'm definitely a, I'm not going to make you believe that I'm a biological yeah. man. Um, that's that's normal. That's a normal trans, like a normal person <laughs> transgenderism. Okay, um, but yeah, it's just out of politeness. Yeah. You know, like I'm not I'm not gonna I'm not gonna try because the goal is not to trigger people here. You know, the goal is to um, is to educate and, and to and, and frankly, if if I had like intentionally you know quote unquote misgendered him yeah or her. So anyway, <laughs> you see, like it's hard. That's right, that's right, that's right. But like, I'm not intentionally doing it. And if I had intentionally done it, then it would have taken away from the broader argument I was making. Um, and the broader argument, I think, in that case was, was more just about uh, um, elevating, elevating wokeism above, uh, you know, in, the, in that case, what would have been academic, um, um, I guess, uh, What's the word I'm looking for? I lost my train of thought. But, you know, it wasn't academic qualification, right? Okay. Chelsea Manning was just not qualified to be there, but they were so obsessed with the woke that they wanted him to be or her to be there, whatever. This is. Now and I'm yeah. super confused. <laughs> <laughs> like, but anyway, that, that was the main point. So that, you know, it's, I, I think you should. Like, if somebody asks you to call them Sally and they were Sam yesterday, just call them Sally. Who cares? Yeah. I just easier. don't care. You want to keep the conversation going. Yeah. You don't want to cut things yeah. off. There's no reason yeah. to do that. But, but, but as soon as Sally says, well, you, no, you have to believe that I'm a woman now. And it's like, well, I don't have to believe. Or, 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 this is where it gets really bad. And this is, gets into the Equality Act. Not only do you have to believe that, but if you're a doctor, you have to treat me as if I'm a woman. And, and it's like, and, and, and no. Yeah. Now we're, going, now we're being silly. And, 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 if it's, and this is where it gets really bad. Okay, there's another problem with the Equality Act. And by the way, not just the Equality Act, but we just voted on the Violence Against Women's Act, which is a really long-standing bipartisan thing that we're, we're against violence against women. That's sure. a, that we're not for violence against women. Yes. Ah, oh, but the Democrats and, <laughs> and what they like to do. So what they did is um, they made sure that there was a new provision in the because it's just a, we're just reprior we're just uh, reauthorizing a program, but they they added to it that um, biological men could be in women's shelters. This is really bad stuff, and like it's really easy to find examples of, of bad things happening when you allow this stuff to happen. Um, my, my, my wife's uh, aunt is a cop and like she, she just, so I don't have to look hard for this stuff, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, this was a month ago in Maryland, um, two women were beaten badly by a biological man claiming to be a woman in a women's shelter. Like, so we're not making this, this isn't theoretical. Like mm -hmm. this stuff happens. You can't put biological men in a women's shelter, a women's prison, a women's locker room, women's sports. You just can't do it. Let's stop pretending that we can do that. That's right. That's right. <laughs> it's, That's right. Uh, it's just really ridiculous. And, that, and, that, and therein is a perfect example where ultimate reality, ultimate truth, and common sense detract, detach from one another. They're, they're no longer even in the same room. I mean, it's, it's just insane. So you brought up the subject a second ago about shame. You mentioned shame in one of your comments. Um, shame has uh, 
you know, an inextricable, inextricable um, uh, attachment, I think, to the idea of repentance, of asking for forgiveness, saying you're sorry, that sort mm -hmm. of thing. And the ir irony, Dan, in, in, in that I have in the whole progressive movement is that if you think of the term progressive, you're progressing towards something better. Mm -hmm. Now, there's, no, there's nothing that's ultimately better in the progressive's mind, yeah. which, is, which is logical fallacy number one in the term progressive. But it, if you're headed in the wrong direction down a road, the shortest way back is to turn around and go back, go back the right way, right? Mm -hmm. And the person who turns around first is the most right by, mm -hmm. defi by definition. Mm -hmm. And the progressives don't understand that. And, 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 and in this, and I think maybe it was your article, Daily Wire, where there's a general lack of shame in society uh, for certain things. They're afraid to turn back and go back the right direction. They're afraid that they were wrong. They were afraid to repent for the things that, they, that they've done. Um, is it just me, or do you see kind of a, a general lack of, of willingness to repent or acknowledge wrongdoing or, or wrong motive or wrong philosophy yeah. in half of America? Yeah, well, it's not just progressives, right? It, it's a political problem. Um, I, I, the, the problem with progressives, as you mentioned, it is is a correct one. They don't define their utopia very well. Yeah. Like, you know, a question I always ask is, like, okay, if, if, if the rich aren't paying their fair share, what is the fair share? At least tell me. Yeah. So that we, you know, I, I know where you're going with this, but by, but by design they don't because progressivism, right? It's always a, it's a struggle towards utopia, which means no place in that's Greek. Right. So that is the goal. Now that's, I think that's a little different than what I would, well, my conversation about shame. I do agree that it's, it's, um, it's, it's necessary to even repent. You have nothing to repent for if you don't feel bad about it in the first place. That's the whole point. Um, and, and the problem with modern society to a large extent is, is um, being proud not to feel bad about things. Yeah. And so I, I, I actually don't see this as a particular problem on the left. It's, it's a particular problem in America writ large, frankly. And um, you know, I talk about the performative politics going on on the right. And um, there, there's almost a contest to like say the most outlandish thing and, and be you know the hardest hitting and then yeah. be unapologetic for it just for the sake of sort of triggering the libs. And like that's not productive either and that, that kind of gets to my problems, uh, my, my conversation about shame as well. But, but on a really basic level, look, just feel bad when you do something wrong. Um, and because uh, that's the only way that you can live with a sense of duty you, right. you can't figure out how to you know, turn around the right direction if, if you don't know in the first place that you're even going the wrong direction. Right. And that gets into, you know, we already talked about yeah. this at length, but you know, having a moral standard and framework to, to go off of in the first place. But look, just feel bad about it. And um, you know, I, I brought up a, a, a bunch of different political examples in the book. And what I noted, though, uh, in, in the book is, um, this kind of uh, inverse intent. And so the, the uh, politicians who refuse to apologize are operating off of incentives that the public delivers to them. So it's everybody's fault, right? It's not that we just have these evil reptilian politicians. Yeah. They're operating off of incentives. And we, we gotta be a little bit more mindful of that as Americans. Like we're screwing it up also just as a culture. And people don't like to hear that because it's, well, it's hard to take action off of that fact, right? Yeah. Because maybe you are perfect, but, uh, but there's a lot of people who aren't. But I, I'm just saying we need to acknowledge it. And once you acknowledge that, it's a little bit easier to understand politicians and sure. public figures and, and maybe give them some benefit of the doubt. Yeah. 
you know, because um, the, the incentive structure is designed where there is, there is no repentance. Um, there, there, there's, there's no forgiveness. Because you get canceled. Yeah. It's cancel culture. Yeah. yeah. So you either, so the, for the politician in these situations, you either over, um, you over apologize, like you over repent. Like you fly home from Cancun yeah. the next day. And that's actually why you brought up, <laughs> yeah, when I was bringing up Saved by the Bell, it was in the context of Mario Lopez who over repented. Yes. He said something perfectly reasonable and then he repented for it. It's like, you don't need to repent, man. You yeah. just, just, just be like, look, you can explain yourself if you want, I suppose. Um, and then there's the people who are like, well, I just see no way out of this, so I'm never gonna apologize for anything. Yeah. Now, Donald Trump's a great example of that. Literally has never apologized for anything in his yes. entire life. <laughs> like, and it's worked well for him, comparatively. I mean, <laughs> amazingly, yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, sort of, like he was impeached twice. Um, yeah. You know, and, and he probably wouldn't have been if he'd been more apologetic about it, to be perfectly honest. Sure. Um, and he he's a little different. Like he's a he's yeah. a political. Yeah, you stack the probabilities of becoming a billionaire, having a real yeah. estate success, being a social a uh, uh, reality TV show, and then being president. I mean, yeah. it's it's unfathomable probability. And and a lot of people are trying to copy that, and that's that's sort of what Trump. If you want to know what Trumpism is, people are like, what is Trumpism? I'm like, there's no policy platform. The policy yeah. platform has always just been conservatism. He did a good job implementing conservative policies for the most part. Uh, so there isn't like this unique Trumpism, but what Trumpism is is that sort of unapologetic behavior. Yeah, and uh, that kind of screw you. There is no political correctness kind of behavior, which which has just fired up a lot of conservatives. But you can take it too far, and it doesn't work for everybody else. Yes, <laughs> it worked for Trump quite well. It doesn't work for every. Well, it didn't work that well because he lost the yeah. second term. So um, people need to kind of take a step back sometimes and balance it out a little bit. So. That's the unapologetic side, and you got to find the middle. And I gave some examples of people who, who did find the middle pretty well. Uh, J.K. Rowling is a good example. She kind of refused to be canceled for her extremely normal, insane comments on transgenderism. And she's a super liberal. Mm -hmm. She agrees with me on nothing. Ellen DeGeneres was another example. I, I try to use a lot of these type of people. Um, by types of people, I mean liberals. You mean sitting next to George George Bush, yeah. right? That, yeah, 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 she, yeah. yeah she was, they tried to cancel her, and she didn't apologize. No, she explained it. She's like, look, I mean, but she didn't. She didn't bow down. Yeah. Um, that, that's like that's a really good example of like kind of the middle ground of how to handle a controversy, and um, you know the good news is I think they're generally rewarded for it. I don't know if J.K. Rowling has really been rewarded for it, uh, but she should be. And uh, that's, at least we should know what the right path looks like. In yeah, yeah. So I, the, just kind of stepping back, it seems like the, your whole ethos is centered around responsibility and accountability. I mean, that's, that's the whole sealed narrative, I think. That's, mm -hmm. that's the whole responsibility. That's the whole victor versus, versus victimhood uh, type of thing. And, and you know, we, we, talked, we had a conversation about morality. And I think, I think there's a, a very, very close tie in here. Um, I think it was, um, was it Tozer maybe? that talked about uh, morality essentially has three, three components to it. Uh, one is, is the responsibility or duty to your neighbor, mm -hmm. uh, a responsibility to oneself, like inwardly, and a responsibility to God. And it seems like Dan Crenshaw's writings, your, kind of the content you're putting out, is talking about the inverse of what the liberals are putting out. The, in, the, the, the narrative around the liberals is victimhood and a duty and responsibility to your neighbor like you should, you should give up your rights in order to responsibly for your neighbor. Now we're mm -hmm. going to dictate the hierarchy by which 
that's executed. Yeah. But the Crenshaw's is, narrative is the flip. The liberals would refer, obviously, they, 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 they ignore the responsibility to God, they ignore the responsibility to oneself, because everything's relative and there's no God to be responsible to through oneself. But you, I mean, in your book, you set out very, very clearly that your responsibility and accountability to oneself, no plan B, and then obviously you, lay, you laid out the eschatological argument, uh, your duty to God um, is, is that which, it cascades down to the other responsibilities, it seems like. Yeah, that seems about right. And, uh, you know, I think, again, I think that's based in a traditionalism. Mm -hmm. And uh, personal responsibility is a, a big bedrock for conservatives. We, we say it a lot, we don't explain it very much. And there's a, there's a practical reason why that's true. Um, well, there's a spiritual, let's maybe focus on the spiritual reason first. It's empowerment. If you're not personally responsible, you're disempowered. That's right. So in, in, if you're hyper accountable of the way like Jocko talks about, um, everything is in your control all of a sudden. And it's more, it's a mindset. I'm not saying it's practically true. Of course, not everything's in your control, literally. But uh, the belief that it is and the belief that at least you can recover from trauma or victimhood and, uh, and be better and stronger for it, that, that's a mindset. And people, the liberals get really wrapped up in, with that point. Like yeah. they're, they're like, well, are we supposed to just not fight injustice? That's right. No, I'm not saying that. <laughs> like they just always put words in my mouth yeah. on that one. And yeah. like you, you can explain, they just don't get it. Yes. They don't understand the, the, this philosophy of overcoming your victimhood. They, it, they, they believe that that's mutually exclusive with addressing the victimized people, mm -hmm. but it's not. You can do both. I, I, it's very frustrating. Um, their, their sense of morality, in my estimation, is, is we had to explain it and why it's different from what you just laid out, is um, the, collective, the collective morality, um, collectivism in general. And, uh, and where that really gets dangerous is what they've started to do recently is um, Collective uh, guilt and collective punishment as well, and this gets into, um, yeah, I mean, geez, Senator Tammy Duckworth. I just gave her some hell on uh, on uh, social media because she's like, well, I'm just not going to vote anybody that's a that's not a diversity candidate, so no white people. And I'm like, that's racist. That's you're <laughs> racist for saying this. You know, like we figured this out, guys. Western civilization figured this out how not to do racist stuff. It took, it, we, we bled for it, we fought like really hard to get to this point where individual content of your character matters and you people are just trying to reverse it. It's really yeah. dangerous And stuff. you're sexist for calling her out for that. Yeah, or anti-veteran or something. <laughs> anti and yeah, it's, it's so stupid. Yeah. Yeah, so you, you talked a little bit about the, the controllable versus uncontrollable. I think you, you alluded to the, you, you specifically stated uh, Jim Collins' book, Good to Great, the, uh, the Stockdale paradox, mm -hmm. where he was parachuting in, he, he, his plane got, mm. got hit, he parachutes down, and he knows in the back of his mind there's gonna be five years minimum down there. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and he, the way he took control is, is he looked at what, what are the controllable factors, what are the uncontrollable factors, and he concentrated on what's controllable right now. And I mean, that's, I think you tie that in very, very well to the, this victimhood narrative that there's certain things that we can control, whether it's making our bed, or washing the dishes, or making sure I get to work on time. There's things we can control in our lives, and that's the best place to start. Yeah, and it's empowering. Yeah. It's empowering. And um, I, I forget the exact point I was, frankly, I was making it, um, it, like, it calls it the paradox, and I was kind of making the point that it wasn't necessarily a paradox, but we've been talking for a while, and I, I can't even remember the point I was making in the book. <laughs> but, but yeah, look, it, but the broader point and the simpler point is, um, 
control what you acknowledge what you can control and, and also maybe expand the things to expand that list of control items mm -hmm. uh, and acknowledge that you might have more control over a lot of things than you previously thought uh, to include other people and how you interact with them and it, it's helpful to swallow your pride sometimes take a step back and, and think you know, maybe I am at fault for that really mean person. Like, what what could I have done differently? Now, that's a really t that's really hard for me to yeah. do. Okay, like I'm, again, I am not saying I live up to this, but it, if you did do this, you would you would just you would excel. I bet um, because look, in, interactions are not just some evil person versus you. All right. Now that's how a lot of us interpret those interactions mm -hmm. because we don't want to be wrong. Uh, we want to believe that the other person either infringed on us or or exerted their power over us in some way. We really want to believe this stuff, and I think we're all guilty of it. You know, I I, I certainly look for reasons to believe that 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 the reason that interaction didn't go well is because of them and not because of me. But it's healthy to maybe take some blame. And uh, what I tend to do is I'll, I will take the blame, but I'll be like, yeah, but I'm still going to do it anyway. <laughs> you know, fine, yeah. but at least acknowledge it. Um, yeah. You know, yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's, it, it'll help you be better. Yeah. Uh, and like this, because this is all about self-growth. Mm -hmm. uh, again, that's what the book is about. So yeah. acknowledging yeah. you have that power and that, you, that it's your fault when things happen even if it's objectively not, right? So this is, again, it's a mindset. Yeah, um, yeah. You're going to be better off in life. Well, I, th I think it's okay to agree to disagree on certain things. I think, uh, um, I'll never forget, on January, the evening of January 5th, you called me, and uh, we had a conversation about what was going to happen on January 6th. We don't need oh, to get yeah. into all that there, but I can tell you we were probably on different sides of that, and you took a lot of heat for that. I think, I think a lot of that heat is dissipated, I believe. Um, but you stood your ground, you stood up for what you, what you believed, and you made, in your opinion, what, what the right choice was according to the Constitution and according to, uh, to your oath. Yeah. Um, and uh, and it, it's okay. You know, we're not going to get along 100% of the time. 80%, 80-20, that's, that's pretty good. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would say so. I mean, my, my, my only regret about that is probably not being more outspoken about it earlier. Um, I don't think I could have prevented what happened on January 6th, but you know, it was uh, I was mostly in the private debate uh, of of what we should do about you know this is this is about voting to um, to uh, certify the election That's or right. not. Which again, well, my whole point is you have no we have no power to certify the election. It's never it's not even in the Constitution. Yeah, nowhere does it say the word certify. Anyway. Um, I have a whole podcast about that. That's, the Chip Roy podcast that was excellent. Yeah, yeah and Trey Rowdy maybe. Yeah, yeah, Trey on it, and um, and Chip Roy, another um, uh, professor of law, and uh, that's my by far my most downloaded podcast yeah. like, in history of all my podcasts. And so you know, people were interested in that subject, and because it was confusing, and it got it got manipulated in the press, or, or it got manipulated in the public discourse by our side. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm still very upset about it with a lot of my colleagues yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that have made it known. Well, going back to the primary, the primary topic about getting floor time to speak, I, yeah. I assume some of that, some of that was, was just get floor time, get some, get some attention. Y yes. Yeah. From a lot of, from a lot of my colleagues, hundred percent. And I'm like, well, where did that get you? Yeah. yeah. As in, um, didn't turn out well. 
<laughs> to say the least. One, one, one final thing before we let you go. I want to I want to ask you a question. I've never heard you answer this. I don't even know if you if you're comfortable answering this, but uh, I want to I want to hear about maybe the first time that you killed someone. <laughs> well, um, uh, yeah, mm, we I, I've never really uh, killed somebody like like in a face to face. Okay, you know, it's it's more indirect means. Okay, and okay. they they're probably dead. Like. <laughs> kind, yeah, of, okay, kind of thing, okay. Um, okay. but if I if like, I had that story, I would tell it. I really wouldn't. But care. Kind, of, kind of the after effects, kind of the emotional after. Yeah. Did you, I mean, did, was was there any impact after afterwards? Uh, no. Okay. No. Um, I'm not saying there couldn't be. Kind of, it probably depends on how that how that interaction occurs. Um, you know, some guys, everybody will tell you maybe a, a different story, but we're, we're highly conditioned for it. Yeah. And, um, but, but there's, there's a lot of like, again, going back to moral frameworks, it's, um, morality in wars and it's, it's a long conversation and, and I haven't really thought about it a whole lot. I just know that we are conditioned to to be okay with it to a large extent, but not okay with everything. I mean, there's there is a lot of ethics involved, I think, in what we do. Uh, when, when guys are really torn up about what happens overseas, uh, it's 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 usually it, it's when it's when the uh, the situation is really vague. Yeah. You know, or, or a kid accidentally gets killed, or someone innocent actually accidentally gets killed. That, that that's really terrible. Because um, nobody wants to do that on purpose. Well, I'm not saying nobody. Obviously, it's, it's happened. But you know, but we implement justice if that does happen. Sure. That's not sure. okay. So, um, no. Just as a, uh, just the nature of our deployments, we're always kind of firing at each other. It's hard to see them. So again, they're like, they're ho okay. we're hoping they're dead. They don't seem to be moving. They're probably dead. I guess if you're walking up to shoot someone point blank, you probably yeah. committed a war crime. <laughs> no, no, not at all. Okay. Um, okay. That happens all the time. Okay. It's just, uh, I just didn't get to do it. Okay. And, uh, okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because I mean, there's lots of close quarters um, stories for sure. Someone yeah. comes around a corner and you better shoot them quick. Yeah. Uh, I mean, we clear a lot of houses. It just so happened that every time I do it, they're not fighting back. Okay. So um, thank God. Yeah, man. but you're never going to execute somebody. But I, but I've certainly, um, I, I guess in a sense, ordered the deaths of many with, with just okay. being like, "There's people over there. We need air support. We need to kill them." Which is the smartest way, probably, to do it rather than go yeah. in and. Well, just yeah. well, we can't get to them. Maybe you yeah. know, like they're they're kind of firing at us. They're sort of locked in in a compound or mm -hmm. something. And so the majority of kills overseas are going to be like that. Okay. Uh, we're taking fire from this. Let's get an AC-130 gunship overhead or some Kiowas or patch, whatever air support we happen to have at that moment and just rain down on them. Um, yeah, that, that, that's just usually how it works. Okay. So, so as, as we wind down, SEALs have their, have their weapons of, of preference in various cases. So I want to go through some different scenarios. And, and uh, if you know you're going to walk in one of these scenarios, you know you're going to be in a fight of some sort, just kind of give me your kind of off-the-cuff Weapon of choice. Uh, okay. So you're going. You're going to a biker bar. What do you? What do you? What are you carrying in there? The biker bar. Biker bar. You know you're gonna get a fight. Um, I'm definitely gonna get into a fight. Yeah. Okay. And it's with bikers. Bikers. Yeah. Yeah. Jeez. Are These are liberal arms? bikers. These are not conservative bikers. Okay. So they don't have guns on them. No. They. But they've got bottles. They've got bottles. They have bottles. Yeah. Um. 
I don't know. I mean, wouldn't you? <laughs> if you know, <laughs> this, this is kind of yeah, it's just a question. I don't know. Uh, yeah, because so uh, you don't want to escalate situations either, right? So it's like you don't want to pull a gun on somebody, but you also are you outnumbered? Oh yeah, you're outnumbered. Huge, yeah, yeah. To a huge extent, yeah. then you might want a gun on you. Yeah. And just just stop the fight right there. You don't want to shoot anybody, um, but it, it would it probably might de-escalate a fight quicker. So that's an interesting way to think about it, I okay. guess. Um, now, if you're not allowed to have a gun, uh, <laughs> you know, it's such an interesting question. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I don't, I, 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 just, I don't really, I don't carry on me a lot. Um, so yeah, a good self-defense knife is one that you can pull out of your pocket and that has a, um, a hook on it that allows it to be deployed as soon as you pull it. Mm -hmm. There's a, some companies that make them that way or you can, make your own knife that way. People think switchblades are the way to go. That's not true. That it requires an extra step or two. Okay. Um, but look, you're, you're just for the audience, the best way out of a fight is to not to start the fight in the first place and just deescalate. It'll hurt your pride in that moment, but you will be better off generally. And, you, and, and if you do get into it, you better know what you're doing. Don't, don't go to the ground uh, in a bar fight because then you're just getting kicked <laughs> by everybody. You know, you need to be able to like strike and move away very fast. Yes. Uh, that would be my sort of self-defense um, 101. Dan Crenshaw, man of peace. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay, let, let, let's assume, let's assume you're, you're, you're walking into a, a large field and you know you have to do some sniper work. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, the SCAR, maybe one of the traditional types of uh, sniper weapon, maybe the 308, something like that. What's your, what's, what's your, what's your weapon of, of choice, or what was your weapon of choice for kind of long range reach out and touch someone? Well, I only had a SCAR heavy 762. Um, I'm not like a big gun guy in the sense that like I have all these different types of guns. I just have what was issued to me and just what works. Okay. Um, so, uh, and I wasn't a sniper, so I was never, I never got to have a sniper rifle. Okay. Uh, there's a few, there's gonna be maybe three or four guys qualified as snipers in a platoon. They go to a three month sniper school and they're the only ones with sniper rifles. You're about three weights or, or 50 yeah, cals so, or? The, all of them. So all they'll have all of, uh, yeah, they'll have, three, they'll have 308, a 50 cal. There'll even be a, a 556 version as well. So, um, they you have know, different, different, in, in a lot of it, you know the 300 wind mags everybody's favorite probably mm -hmm. just more it's most diverse because the 50 cals for just it's huge yeah it's useful for it depends it depends on the situation um 300 wind mags probably pretty great for for that yeah yeah uh home home protection home defense um bow and arrow i don't know <laughs> just fun. i mean i have um well so for me, a pistol, um, it depends on your home. Yeah. This gets into like the gun debate a little bit. And this is what's important for people. Again, like if it's uh, for, for the audience, you can choose to uh, advocate for your second amendment rights by, by strapping on your AR and going to Starbucks and exercising your right. Or you can make an argument. And, and the argument would be, look, um, uh, an AR truly is a self-defense weapon. And, and here's how I know. Um, you know, br bring, bring your, bring your wife to, to the range and, um, and have them have, have, have her shoot the pistol versus an AR and see which one she's more accurate with and feels more empowered with. The AR might be scary at first. It is louder, but, uh, also basically has no kick. It's very easy yeah. to be accurate with it for any kind of shooter. And, um, 
that, that makes it a much better self-defense weapon. You know, a pistol, you, you will screw it up. I promise you that. And now, again, it's fine for me. I'm pretty good with it. And uh, I, I know I can hit it. But, it, but even in, in a tense situation in the dark, you know, 30, 40 feet away, which, which we're in a place that's easily that far, you're not going to hit anything. Yeah. And um, that's not a good place to be. So, so that's why an AR actually makes quite a bit of sense yeah. uh, for, for self-defense. But, it, it, you know, if you're living on a ranch, you should definitely have an AR. And, you know, people are like, well, shotgun, that's what Joe Biden thinks, right? Everybody just needs a shotgun. And that's fine. It's a, it's a fine home self-defense weapon, too. Yeah. yeah. Don't deny that. Yeah. Um, but... Um, it matters if you have kids in the other room, too. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, yeah, do you really want the spray? Um, you have to, you have to kind of tactically assess, uh, your surroundings and, and see what the, the best self-defense situation is yeah. for, for that. I'll never forget. We, uh, you had an event out at the range one time. You had some still buddies in from California. Mm -hmm. And so we went out there and they taught us some, some kind of gun handling tactics, things like that. But I think there was a reporter there, a female reporter there, and they got her on the, uh, on the sniper range. I think it was a 300 yard range of memory serves uh, on a, on a 308. Yeah. Two or three shots, and they had her. They had her sighted in. She was she was hitting bullseye from 300 yards, like, yeah. like it was nothing. I was impressed by the by their level of care and skill and, and training, just kind of that that quick. The the hard part about being a sniper is um, knowing how to sight in a rifle perfectly. That that's actually that's most of the training. There's obviously a great deal of skill and your your breathing and how you do that trigger pull, mm -hmm. but uh, that can be taught much quicker. Like once a rifle sighted in. I can hit things at 800, 900 yards, just one after another, but that doesn't make me a sniper. Yeah. Okay. Like there's just, there's a lot more skill sets to it than people, than people realize. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I want to thank you for coming in, Dan. I had, a, I have a gift for you. All right. Um, if you want to, if you want to open that. Is and, it under $25 or whatever? Uh, is. it is definitely under $25. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Thank you very much. And so I'll, I'll let you. Do you know? Do you know what that? Who's on that shirt? Oh, please clap! <laughs> just that's funny. <laughs> so <laughs> poor Jeb. That's Jeb. I love that's Jeb. Jeb. He's a nice guy. And, and, He's a nice guy. And I, can you can you tell the people why I got you a Jeb shirt? I don't know. Okay, you you admit so twenty five debates, twenty five forums, whatever it was. Yeah, yeah. You accidentally told people. Oh, did I? You one that's time funny. you did, and I think we teased you for it. Did you film it? Oh, that would I, be great. I've got, I've, <laughs> or we'll find it. I'm sure it's on film some, sometime. There were good times over yeah. there. Remember when I told everybody you were a, a cat owner? You were a cat guy? <laughs> My wife bought a cat two months ago, yeah. So you are a cat guy. <laughs> Self-fulfilling prophecy. That's right, that's, that's right. Well, Dan, funny. thanks thanks so much for coming in. Thanks for your friendship sure. and, and your support for our, our country. I mean, you're, you're an American hero, and we appreciate everything you've no, done. I appreciate you. Our brother. Thanks Thank a lot. Thank you. All right.